the events of John chapter 8 are at the end of the Festival of Tabernacles. It's where we'll find our passage today. And the, fe- the Feast of pa- Tabernacles comm- commemorated three distinct miracles in the wilderness. I want you to track them with me. First of all, there was the manna that fell every day for 40 years. The bread that fell that sustained them. In John chapter 6, Jesus comes and said, I am the bread of life. The second great miracle in the wilderness that they celebrated was the water that came out of the rock. A very unusual place for water to come. Moses hit the rock and water came out. Jesus offers himself in John chapter 7 as the water that satisfies. The third event in the wilderness wanderings was the miracle of the cloud by day and the pillar by night. When the night fell, the cloud turned into a pillar of fire, giving them light and warmth and direction. John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, offering himself during the festival under the guises and under the categories of the great miracles that God did in the wilderness. I want you to think about that pillar of fire and that cloud that that followed them during the day. We, We know much from the Jews who wrote their history, and this is what the Jews taught. The Jews said that that pillar of fire was encased within the cloud. But it was unrecognizable until the natural sun fell and the light came out, or the darkness came. When the darkness came, that which was a cloud turned into a pillar of fire. Now, I like clouds, but they're all over the place. May not grab my attention, but a pillar of fire... Lightning always does that, doesn't it? Doesn't it grab your attention? Jesus presents himself to the Pharisees and scribes in the temple, and they don't get it. They don't get it because all they're looking for, all they see anyway, is a cloud. Follow my thought. They have not yet seen the pillar of fire. All they see is a man. All they see is another fellow human being who's claiming deity. And they're not unimpressed by Jesus as a cloud. It is not until darkness falls that we see him as a pillar of fire. The darkness is God's revelation of sin within us. So what do you see Jesus as? A cloud? An an impressive teacher? Someone who uh, calls for our allegiance and probably should get it, but doesn't? Have you yet seen him as the pillar of fire? You will see him as such when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and you see the darkness inside of you. Notice his statements to these men. They are full of ultimatums. They are the heaviest words I think he spoke. 
Listen to them carefully. But listen more than just the words on the page. Listen to his voice to you. In John chapter 8, verse 21, it says, So he said to them again. He had already said this once, and they had rejected it. How gracious of the Lord to say it twice. How gracious of God to come a second time to say the very thing he already said. Should have been enough for one time. They turned a deaf ear, and in the grace and mercy and compassion of Jesus Christ, he says it to them a second time. How gracious of the Lord to repeat to us things he has said in the past when we have rejected them, and he keeps saying them. How gracious of God to offer his Son a number of times to our souls, to try to grab our attention. How many times did the Lord speak to you before you responded? How gracious of God. He said to them in verse 21, So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Wow. The offer of the gospel, the offer of Jesus Christ is but for a moment and he goes away. We have in this life of a few short years an opportunity to respond to his voice and if we do not respond, the Bible says that we will die in a condition of sin. And then we will seek him and you will not find him. Where he is going to the throne of heaven, you cannot come at that point. There are no more powerful words of ultimatum in all the scripture. Jesus is telling the truth. What powerful words. Ah. Words on a page. You know, spoken 2,000 years ago. Let's get to the communion table and move on. Listen to what he says to you and I. There'll come a time you can't get to me. And I love you too much. That's why he said it to them twice. Every confrontation Jesus had for these men were were confrontations of compassion and intense love and a desire that no man perishes. Notice what they said. By the way, the line that should have jerked their head to attention was the line to die in a condition of sin, a condition of unbelief. That should have jerked their head. Look at the line that they heard. They heard that he's going away and they can't get to him. Notice in verse 22, so the Jews said, we are so thick, aren't we? I mean, so dull. It just takes the Lord to take the cloud away. But look what they said. Will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. You don't get any more lethargic and dense than that. You should have heard you're going to die in your sins. You should have asked some questions. 
you know, there should have been one that raised their hand and said, whoa, 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 time out, time out. What, what, what do you mean by die in your sins? He was talking to the religious authorities. He was talking to Jews who were the leaders of the nation of Israel. And they were going to die in a condition of sinfulness. And they just want to know if he's going to kill himself. You know, don't do it here in the temple. In the temple, during this festival, they lit two huge candle operas in the temple area that blazed with glory every night. And here was the light of God himself. And all they saw was a cloud. They didn't see it. Notice what he says in verse 23. And he said unto them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Notice he doesn't go back to their sinfulness. He doesn't go back to their behavior. He goes back to origins. You're from down here. My origin is up there. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I am of the spiritual God's world. A different place. The problem is our origins are wrong. We're born of this world, in this world. Our problem is in our sinfulness. Our problem is the basis of our origin, our heart. That's where the difficulty rises. Well, they, they kind of got the ultimatum at that point. He'd said it to them three times now that you're going to die in your sins. So they ask a question that begins to show a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel in verse 25. It's a great question to ask. Who, look at it with me. Who are you? You tell me that unless we believe in you, we are going to spend eternity apart from God. We're going to die? Who are you? What right do you have to give us an ultimatum like that? What right do you have to say the things that you are saying to us? These words are blistering 2,000 years after he said them. They speak to the heart of men and women in this place at this time. What do you see? Do you see a cloud? Let the Holy Spirit begin to pierce your heart. Notice he said, you are of this world. I ask you this, what world are you of? Are you of this world or are you of his world? That's a question to ask. What evidence do you have that you're of his world? What proof do you have that you've trusted in Christ? What evidence flows out of your life showing that you're not of this world, but you're of his world? I believe there are a multitude of people dying and going to hell, believing they are dying and going to heaven. Because they have trusted in a prayer. They have trusted in a church membership. They have trusted in a preacher. They have trusted in religious ceremony. They were trusted in something they did when, four, when they were 14 or 12 or whatever. And they have never believed on Christ. 
to a saving faith that transports the life out of this world into his. And if we're in his world, there's evidence of it. Years ago, I got a phone call of a lady who, a couple actually, who had just given birth to a baby, and they had brought the baby home, and they wanted me to come bless the baby. Preachers do that occasionally. We come pray over them and distill some kind of whatever. And so I went to the house, and I noticed the baby wasn't moving a lot. In fact, I asked the mother, I said, does he cry? And she said, well, you know, he hasn't cried since we brought him home. I said, really? Uh, in fact, she said, you know, he doesn't eat a lot. In fact, he hasn't eaten since we, I said, when did you bring him home? They said three days ago. I said, really? Have you changed his diaper? He hasn't needed a diaper change. I looked into the crib and there was no movement at all. I sat the couple down and I said, as kindly as I could, your baby is dead. There is no life in the baby. Where there is life, there is movement. Where there is life, there is hunger. Where there is life, there are dirty diapers. Where there is life, there is crying and noise and movement. If the life of Jesus Christ dwells within you, there is movement. There is life. Now the hard thing is this. If there is no movement, there is no life. We are not saved by our works, but those who truly know Christ will have signs of that life. What are the signs of life? I'll give them to you very clearly and and, and as shortly as I can. 1 John tells us, first of all, there is an understanding of what sin is. A recognition of the darkness within us apart from Jesus Christ. Second of all, John says that we will love the brethren. That will means we will be a part of a local assembly of believers. We love to be with those who are of like faith. If a person has no desire to be a part of a church or part of a fellowship, that's a sign that's missing that life possibly isn't there. There will be a love for the Word of God, a desire to read, a desire to pray, a desire to fellowship. There will be signs of life. Jesus says, you are of this world. You love this world. This world is what turns you on. You can't wait to run to it. I am not of this world. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You will either love the one and hate the other. Notice hate the other. Or you will hate the other and love me. Pretty intense. This might be the most intense communion service I've ever preached. Because the words fall in the, from the lips of Jesus Christ. And notice, notice what he says to the question, who are you? Now the next phrase in the Greek is the hardest, one of the hardest to translate into the English or to... Any translations. In fact, there are seven words that are difficult to know what he's saying. Some of the translators kind of think he says, you know, why am I even talking to you? But that wouldn't be Christ. This is a pretty close rendition in the ESV when he says this, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. It's kind of the idea, have you been listening? I'm not changing who I said I was. I've been telling you the whole time. Have you not been listening? I have much to say about you and to judge. 
He didn't come at this time to judge. If you die in your sins, he'll have a lot to say. And there'll be judgment. But now, this is what he wants you to know. This isn't the time for judgment yet. Notice what he wants you to know. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard from him. I want you to know the Father. I want you to know me. This is the time of grace and the offer of the gift of Christ. And when you receive him and when you believe on him, that which you thought was a a cloud will become a pillar of fire to you. And you'll figure out what the big deal is. You'll figure out why Jeremy gets so excited leading worship and Caleb up here and the musicians and those who sing to him from here, not from here. You'll know the excitement in their souls when the cloud becomes a pillar to you of fire and passion. Do you know him today? What a great day to come to Christ and truly be born again of the Spirit of God. What are you trusting in? When you get to the gates of glory, what reason will you have to go in? If it's anything other than your decision to trust in the work of Christ and that has transformed your life, you have nothing. A prayer doesn't save you. The sinner's prayer doesn't save you. The four spiritual laws don't save you. Christ saves you. When he sees a posture and position of repentance and faith in Christ. Changing the mind. Changing the mind about Christ. He's no longer a pillar of cloud. He's a pillar of fire to you. And trusting in that pillar of fire who died in your place. A position of faith is what saves a person. We may say a prayer and by all means pray and call on the Lord. But it's this that saves It's the heart that believes, not this. Do you know him?